The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time. For answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland and welcome one and all to Night Fright. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. Great show tonight. Jim Dio Jr. is returning tonight, folks. Wow. I know. I know. He's great. He's fantastic. Let me read a little bit about Jim. Can Jim, I what? I'm just going to read a little bit about your bio. Oh, okay. You're going to give me a blurb? I'm going to give you a blurb. Jim okay. Diogenio just may be the most knowledgeable person on the planet when it comes to the JFK assassination. Jim has the extraordinary ability to name names and dates at the drop of a hat. Jim and fellow researcher Lisa Pease published Probe Magazine. Now, Probe Magazine, folks, was a series of articles dedicated to all of the assassinations in the 60s. JFK, Malcolm, Dr. King, and Bobby. Along with Lisa, who I've had the distinct honor of interviewing as well on Night Fright, Jim published a book hailed by Oliver Stone called The Assassinations. Never, ever, ever debate Jim on this subject matter with any expectations of winning, because you won't. He is that good. He is driven, as all researchers are, by passion and desire for the truth two of the greatest American qualities. Jim's introduction to the JFK assassination came from an interview with New Orleans DA Jim Garrison, and that interview was done for Playboy magazine in October 1967. Now, Jim didn't read that until a decade later in 1977. Now, Jim swears folks up and down that his motivation for the purchase of this Playboy magazine <laughs> was strictly for the article. And who am I to doubt him? Now, in all honesty, folks, when I was a teenager, if I bought Playboy magazine, it wasn't for the articles. Okay, if you listen to or read anything Jim does, you will learn details. He has never failed to reveal aspects of the assassination that have never been considered associated with each other. With each other. He takes an aspect and not only has the ability to turn it upside down, but he turns it inside out as well. It's no wonder Oliver Stone sought him out for his research expertise and to add his proficiency to the JFK DVD. It's my great pleasure to welcome all the way from LA, where it's as balmy as it is there as it is in Kingston today, because Jim, we are well above normal temperatures. I was just telling the folks, uh, right now we're around 45, 47 degrees when we should be down around 20 Fahrenheit maybe even less. Uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome Jim DiEugenio back to the show. Welcome back, my friend. Okay. Th th thank you, Brent. Um, but in that introduction, um, my last two books, yes. which were published after the assassinations, which I co-edited with Lisa Pease, were the second edition of Destiny Betrayed in 2012, I think, and then Reclaiming Parkland in, in 2013. The Reclaiming Parkland Parkland is being reissued as a trade paperback in the fall of this year, and Oliver Stone is going to do a brand new prologue, you know, for the book. Okay, which he uh, called me up and told me about that he'd, he'd be more than happy uh, to do that for me. Okay, so just how close are you and Oliver? Uh, just to give folks. An, uh, well, I, I was at his office yesterday. That's pretty close, I'd say. Now, <laughs> 
Now, we, we just mentioned Christmas. What did he give you for Christmas so far? Don't tell me a lump of coal. Well, if, if he does this introduction for me, I'll be happy. Okay. No kidding. No you know? kidding. Um, let's see. Um, that, you know, that's a really interesting story about, and I really don't tell it all that much, about uh, running into the Jim Garrison interview about nine or ten years after it was published. Okay, and because I had kind of written this stuff all off, okay, around that time, because for uh, Garrison got buried in the press, I really didn't know what the heck to think of him. The House Select Committee had replaced Sprague and Tannenbaum with, you know, cover-up guy Blakey, you know, and I really didn't know what to think about this thing. So I said, well, you know, I want to take a look at what this guy really has to say, unfiltered, you know, by the media or the TV or anything like that. Let's just hear him talk on his own. And I'll never forget bringing that home and reading it. And it's, it was the longest interview that Playboy ever did. Okay, it was the longest. And, and it went on for pages and pages and pages. And I remember reading it by about 1 o'clock in the morning. Okay, it's that long, and I, I read it the whole all the way through. And I guess what's the what's the best way to um, explain the way I felt? Okay, the great British um, theater critic William Hazlitt said that watching Keane play Hamlet was like reading Shakespeare by lightning. Okay, you know, and that's kind of the feeling I got. And I remember at the end of the year, I go. This guy got a raw deal. I mean, he makes a hell of a lot more sense than the Warren Commission does. Okay, because I had read the Warren report. Okay, I didn't figure think it was very you know compelling. So I read this guy, and I go, he because in that interview, what he did, he was the first guy speaking to a wide audience that proposed a credible alternative to what the Warren report said had happened. Okay. And he brought in all these fascinating elements about, you know, the anti-Castro-Cuban exiles and about Guy Bannister, you know, and about 544 Camp Street and about Oswald not being what he was presented as and just how bad the CIA really was and how the Warren Report simply had no credibility, you know. And he brought in all these elements and and he did it in a very logical and cohesive way. And so from then on, I, 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 I read a few other books after that. And I... Uh, Would you read, Jim? Well, okay, I read things like Inquest, okay, Edward Epstein's book, okay, which is a, a, a critique of the Warren Report. Okay, I read what is still a very, very good book, Sylvia Marr's book. Uh, accessories after the fact, okay? And I read Thompson's book, Six Seconds in Dallas, yeah, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Okay? And that was my general background, all right? Now, I will say this, though. There's only two other times I ever felt in my whole research life the way I did when I read the Garrison interview. The first time after that was when I read Philip Melanson's Spy Saga, which really, really, in 200 pages, kind of cracked open the whole mystery of Oswald to an extent that nobody had ever done before. Okay, And then the other time was when I read Richard Mahoney's book, JFK Ordeal in Africa, mm. in which that book convinced me in the way that Garrison did on the Kennedy case that there was a huge cover-up of who Kennedy really was, okay? I mean, in some ways, just as bad as a cover-up about the circumstances of his death. Because when I read JFK Ordeal in Africa, I was said to myself, why has this all been kept secret all these years? Mm -hmm. You know, why did they not want us to know just to the extreme measures that Kennedy was going to go to in the third world to block European imperialism, even if it was by his own allies? In this case, England and the Netherlands. Yeah. Excuse me, England and Belgium. Okay? Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's the feeling I had reading that book. 
So those are the those are the three times in my life where I I kind of felt like I had been just been slapped across the face, you know, and said, "Boy, are you stupid?" You know, that's the kind of feeling I had reading those things. You well, know, absolutely, his foreign policy was a big part of why he was murdered. I feel. Yeah, um, because but, but what Mahoney did what Mahoney did, and what his successors have done, which who are Robert Rakove from Stanford, and Philip Muhlenbeck from um, Georgetown, mm -hmm. they've gone way beyond. Okay, what Garrison was thinking of, and I don't know if you saw my. Oh, did you see my presentation in Dallas on this? Uh, two years ago or three years? Yeah, ago? twenty thirteen. At the, at, the, at the anniversary. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. What I did there is I said, I'm going to do something revolutionary. I'm going to give you a one-hour talk on JFK's foreign policy, and I'm never going to go into Vietnam or Cuba. Yeah. Okay? And most people would think that, what else are you going to talk about then? Well, it turns out there's a hell of a lot to talk about besides that. Okay? But it had all been hidden by all these, you know, these terrible writers like Robert Dalek and, and Richard Reeves, you know, who have given us these really crappy books, you know, on, on who Kennedy really was. And it's like JFK and the Third World never existed, you know, like Africa and the Middle East, et cetera, and which, uh, unfortunately for them, Kennedy really, really was interested in those places. You know, and Ben Bradley, his false friend, who once said that Kennedy's forte wasn't foreign policy, well, that either, either he was not very smart Kennedy completely duped him, or he's a liar, okay? Because, you know, Kennedy was the most visionary foreign yes. policy president since Roosevelt, okay? And there's no, and if you ask me, there ain't nobody in second place. No, I agree, and, and there, was, there was hints of that in his speeches as well. Well, more than hints. They were, were yeah. outright bold statements, how he was going to go into the third, well, the developing countries, and right. uh, no more um, uh, diplomacy by gunships. That was it. It was over. And they were, you know, he was going to build schools. He was going to build infrastructure. I think a very good black and white example of that is the Peace Corps. I mean, right. what a wonderful idea! What and a also the alliance, the alliance for progress too. There you go. That would be another good example. Right. I'm going to stay right. in the, the JFK realm just for a second, Jim. And uh, something I, I requested that we address tonight, and that is, I've been getting flooded um, about James Files, about Why? his story. Why? I don't know. Uh, I, I can't explain it. I thought this was something that was over, it was debunked, and it was done. I was wondering if you could give us your perspective of the whole James Files story. Well, I, I, I kind of agree with you, what you just said. But, but, just, but just in order to, uh, if there's some people, you know, I always get talked about Files and Judith Baker, and I, I do not take either one of them seriously. Okay, now the the the, the fi files began. I don't know if you've gone over this, but files began yeah. with a guy named Joe West. Okay, Joe West was a private investigator down in Texas. Now, Joe West, in addition to files, is responsible for the whole Ricky White morass, which was another disaster yeah. for the research community. In which I don't know. If do, should I go into this? Sure, please do. Yeah, okay, please do. Because right, right. I, I want to, ec like an exorcist would do, I want to get this out there and dealt with and move on from it. Ricky White was the brother of policeman Roscoe White. And he said he dug up some canister or something in which uh, Roscoe White's diary about his role in the Kennedy assassination and the cleanup operation was now exposed. Well, it turned out that this was all phony, that it was all manufactured, uh, okay, and that it was done in conjunction with a corporation in order to sell to Oliver Stone uh, in the making of his movie, JFK, all right? And there's a very good expose of this at, it's called I Am Mandarin, and it's at... Um, Texas Monthly. And you don't have to go into their archives to get it. You can get it for free. Well, Joe West is the guy who had a prime role in calling that press conference okay, down in Texas, which actually got media play. And, you know, and it ended up completely with 
blood splatter all over the research community because it was a hoax. All right, so then Joe West then hears from a guy named Zach Shelton, who I think was an FBI agent, and this case he worked on with uh, – by the way, you know that's not his real name? No, I didn't. No, I didn't know his name. Yeah, it's not his real. His real name is Sutton. Huh. Okay. All right. And so, uh, what Joe West then was snookered into uh, this Files guy who had been in jail for attempting to killing two police officers. Okay. All right. So now, to understand this fully, at the same time that Shelton is tipping off West. All right. There is a guy named Rademacher down in Dallas who, for some reason, decides to start digging into the ground. Okay. Uh, and he says that he has come up with two shells. Okay. All right. And these were uh, originally they were reported as. <clears throat> as 221, caliber 221 shells. That's how they originally reported. And he says that he found two of them. Okay? So, at Jim Mars, everybody knows who Jim Mars sure. is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he has his class down there in Texas, I think at UT Arlington. Okay? And so, one night, <clears throat> West comes in with Rademacher. Okay? All right? and introduces this so-called evidence. He then goes to see Files. See, what's important about this is the sequence, because he had hooked up with Rademacher before he went to see Files. All right? And then, of course, what happens is that Files now claims that he shot this, uh, this fancy fireball pistol, and that, well, there was a little problem right here, because the fireball does not accept 221 caliber. It takes 222s. So Rademacher, from what I read, Rademacher traced over the one with a two, okay, so that the calibers would match, okay? All right? Now, Joe West passed away, and this whole thing was picked up by a music producer named Bob Vernon, okay? All right? And... I actually have some experience with Bob because he called me up one night, flew into L.A., and he gave me the whole presentation. Okay, He was looking for backers and investors. Well, I decided not to bite, for, as we'll see, for obvious reasons. So Vernon decides to take the bullet to a forensic doctor, Okay, a guy named Stimson. All right? And... And he says that Stimson said that they were teeth marks. But Stimson later told somebody else, well, I didn't really say that. I said that there could be a number of reasons for the indentation. Okay? I mean, a squirrel could have bitten the thing. All right? <laughs> the, okay, you know, but, but the thing is, um, he would not give me uh, a dental um, cast from this, his client. Sutton or Files, whatever you want to call them. Okay? Now, I would like to ask a rhetorical question. If Files really did bite that shell, don't you think he'd be screaming at the top of his lungs to say, please take it, take it here, put it in my mouth. Okay, okay. Proof positive that I was the guy. Here we go. Right. Okay, he'd be jumping for joy. Yeah. Okay? All right. Well, to my knowledge, uh, that never happened. All right? Now, there's a couple of other problems with, I mean, first of all, the idea that Johnny Rosselli is going to be on the ground in Dallas supervising the hit is just so ludicrous. I don't even want to think about it, you know. I mean, that is just preposterous, okay. I mean, they, they don't work that way. The mob doesn't work that way. The CIA doesn't work that way because you don't want – one of your upper-level middle guys caught because he can spill the beans on everything, okay? You know, all right? So that was re the idea that this low-level hitman met both Oswald and Ruby, 
uh, before the assassinate. That's really good planning, isn't it? Okay, that this guy, <laughs> you introduced the hitman to both the the patsy, okay, and the guy who's going to rub him out, okay. I mean, I, that I equate just... that with Oswald making his grand escape on a bus. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't work that way in the real world, okay. All right, that somehow. The CIA wanted to call off the hit, but the mob overruled the CIA. No, no, that doesn't happen in the real world either. Okay. Um, now, finally, if you want to see what I think is the, the coup de grace on this, there's a very good researcher by the name of Alan Eaglesham uh, who has a website called Manuscript Service. And he did a very long and detailed comparison of the so-called shells that Rademacher dug up. And he has proved pretty much conclusively that these shells were not manufactured before 1971 because they changed the design on the shells after 1971. Okay, And he does a side-by-side -side comparison showing you that these shells were manufactured after 1971. So that's what I think of the whole Jim Files thing. So and there was this whole thing where apparently, from what I was reading as well, that there, he claims to have had a twin brother that he went oh, and killed oh, or something. Can you tell oh, that aspect? I of didn't it? want to talk about that one. Somehow, some, uh, well, his either his wife or the detective agency came up with evidence that uh, he was actually in Chicago on the day of the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the and he denied it and said that he had a twin brother who was actually there. And the detective agency looked into this and said they interviewed his wife and his wife said he didn't have a twin brother. OK. You know, look, you know, I, I don't know how much dirt you want to put on the corpse. OK. But to me, it's it just I mean, this is sort of like the latest hoax by yeah. the moon, landing, the moon landing people. You heard yes. about this one? Uh, well, this... tell us that one, too, then. Go ahead. Oh, you didn't hear about this? No, no but oh. I know Independence Day 2 is coming up, and I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. Stanley, they, the, the oh, latest... Stanley Kubrick. Yes, go ahead. Tell, Sam, tell everybody. Stanley Kubrick secretly directed the whole moon landing thing, okay? And so he confessed about this the year that he died, 1999, and somehow it just surfaced in 2015. The problem is that, number one, the guy doesn't look like Stanley Kubrick. And I've seen pictures of Kubrick in the last two or three years of his life. He doesn't look anything like this guy, okay? You know, he has, the guy has a huge, you know, beard and, you know, and I think it's to cover up the fact that he didn't have any of that. He wouldn't look like Kubrick at all, okay? And then, and then he was coached into this performance because they were dumb enough to leave some outtakes of it, and he calls. I think they called him Tom during the coaching, I think okay, so. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know. And you right. can tell he's reading from a script when he's asking yeah. the questions right. of Kubrick as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. So anyway, this is see. This is the kind of thing you get from the loonies, okay, or or whatever you want to call them. In the files case, I think that that was not so much. I, I think that was about money. Me okay. Too. I think that was about money. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Bob Vernon did make money because he sold it to Wim Dankbar for something like $325,000, you know. And Wim Dankbar bought a, you know, a can of, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, a can of spoiled milk, if you ask me. Okay. But that actually implies that it was good at one time. So I guess we're going to call it, you know, uh, a, you know, a can of moonshine. Okay. You know, so, <laughs> so anyway, that's my, my take on the whole Jim Files thing. And I think it's not kosher, and I don't think we're spending a lot of time on it. Okay. Okay, me either. Yeah, very, okay. very surprised that people are still calling you on. Well, maybe I shouldn't be because you know there are some people like the Zach Shelton guy, mm -hmm. the FBI agent who. Well, you know he got a play produced in no. Chicago based upon this. Yeah, do you believe it? Yeah, look it up. Okay, wow. you know. Kennedy assassination play in Chicago that actually played, I think, for over a month, okay? And it's based upon this, okay? So, you know, very, very, very surprising to me.
that 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 the serious people, you know, actually, you know, but see, that's what the Kennedy assassination has become. It's be and this part of the, this is the thing that makes it a sideshow, you know, is it's crap like this. You know, the, I wanted to get that out there because I think a lot of it is is a lot of novices now are coming to the JFK assassination and they're not sure. They hear all these rumors and they're not sure if a rumor is true or not, especially in the case of my show, because I get a lot of younger people listening to the show. It's a different demographic than Len's great show or Alan's great show as, as well. Those guys are, are experienced. The people who, who listen to those shows are more experienced and more knowledgeable by far. So what I try to do is introduce um, a lot of the different concepts, if you will, of the Kennedy assassination. But some I want to debunk right away so we don't end up sending younger people down the rabbit hole in the wrong direction. And thank you for that, Jim. The other thing I want to say is I had Story Musgrave on the show, folks. Um, Renowned astronaut, um, NASA astronaut. We went to the moon. I hate to break it to you. We went to the moon. (laughs) As much as people, I don't know why people don't want us to have been on the moon, uh, but we were there. And well, well, d- don't tell Jim Fetcher that, okay? <laughs> I promise. <laughs> He'll say it was the Mossad. Anyways, moving right along. Jim Diacchino <laughs> is our guest tonight, and uh, there's none better, folks. I mean, um, you know, uh, with with the legacy that he brings and the truth he brings to the assassination. Thank God we have a person of this stature amongst us. Triple W dot Night Fright Show. He's got a great book out called Reclaiming uh, Parkland, which, um, well, we don't have to talk about him either, Bugliosi. I think he's been denounced enough and debunked enough, I hope, I hope by this point. Um, Also, he's got some great, uh, great articles, great books. All his connections, all his books will be on the Triple W dot nightfrightshow.com website click on tonight's guest book cover it'll take you right to a place where you can buy all of his books and um these are musts it's as simple as that uh there's no uh if and or but these are musts you must have these books in your library if you want to be serious about studying the jfk assassination yeah, let, let, let me say something about you're saying you have a lot of younger listeners yes sir okay see I'll never forget when Gerald Posner was making the rounds with his crappy book, okay, Case Closed. Yeah. And one of his first stops was an ABC special, and they did like a 20-minute segment with him. And they asked him, how long did you study the JFK case before you wrote the book? And he said, three years. And the host went, wow. Uh, I hate to tell you this. Three years on the JFK case, to me, you won't even get a junior college diploma, okay? It takes at least, if you ask me seriously, yeah. if you, it takes at least 10 years, okay, to even begin to fully comprehend the complexities of the JFK case, all right? Not because it's that hard to understand, but because it's been buried mm-hmm. with so much disinformation, yeah. so much misinformation, so many people with agendas, so many people in denial, Okay, so many provocateurs, okay, that you it takes that long to weed yourself through this, you know, this this wood, this wooded area that has been in addition to all the 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 wild animals. And there's also landmines in there, okay, that you can blow yourself up on. Okay, so it, it takes a long, long, long time to really understand the whole Kennedy assassination case now. I will say this, though. Once you understand the JFK case, mm-hmm. it really helps you understand other things that are going on in the world, number one. But it also helps you understand the other assassinations and scandals that have plagued the United States. You know, Canada is a pretty great country. You really don't have these, all these problems up there. Okay, but in the United States, well, you know the old joke about what's your definition of a Canadian? Did you ever hear that one? <laughs> I've okay. heard many long that, but okay. A, a, a Canadian is a, is is an American without a rifle, but with health care. Okay, <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? You got to tell that to Len. I guess Len knows that one. <laughs> okay. All right. So anyway, hey, if it wasn't for the weather up there, I'd move up there. 
Okay. Well, listen, uh, we're ha I was mentioning before, we're having weird weather, Jim. We're up to 45, 47 degrees. And we you know something, what it is tonight in California? No. It's 50, 53. Oh, my It's cold God. tonight. Yeah. So, well, I should say that for you, that would be, you'd be out there in Bermuda shorts if it was 50. <laughs> okay. But you'd for be barbecuing. That's, that's cold. Okay. Yeah, no. You know? I, so something's going on. And yet I've got a friend um, who's, who's up in uh, Reno, Nevada, and they've had like three feet of snow. Like they're in what? it. They're, they're, oh yeah, they're plowed in and inundated. And uh, he sent me photos, and uh, you know, I'm still it's in it. Unbelievable! Wow, oh, it's crazy. I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on. And, okay. Yeah. So we'll see. That'll be the next conspiracy thing we'll take a look at, which is <laughs> geoengineering of the. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, already people talking about that, by the way. You know that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Chemtrails yeah. are a big thing. Are a big thing. Let's talk about that great article you wrote. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's talk history. about that. Okay. okay. The, and Mary Mapes. Okay. And, yes. and have you talked about this at all? Not at all. That's why I, I wanted to have you on the show. I think okay. this is uh, pretty exclusive, folks. And wait till you hear this, because none better than Jim to bring the truth out. Okay. Mary story. Mapes was a CBS um, 60 Minutes producer who lived in Texas, okay? And she had been working essentially um, TV. Her husband is a, is a print reporter, but she had spent something like 15 years in uh, TV reporting when she went from Seattle down to Dallas. She hooked up with the local CBS, CBS station, and then she got up on the, uh, the network, all right? And she had worked um, with Dan Rather a lot, not exclusively, okay? But she had, and she had done some very good stories, okay? For instance, um, everyone knows that Strom, the late um, um, Strom, was it, was it Strom Thurmond? Yeah, I think it was. It was. Yes, it was. Okay, yeah. Uh, with a, a segregationist, mm -hmm. uh, racist he was. Well, it turned out that he had an affair with a black woman, okay, and covered this up, and Mary heard about this and tracked her down, okay? So uh, talk about hypocrisy. Yeah, All right. And, uh, okay, and then she had also done an expose on Abu Ghraib. CBS, on contrary to what Seymour Hersh might think, CBS really had the first expose about the torture practices going on at Abu Ghraib prison. Okay, now, now this is a setup because after the Abu Ghraib story broke, 60 Minutes split up into a 60 Minutes original and a 60 Minutes two. Okay, the original course was on on the weekend. 60 Minutes 2 was on during the week. So they recruited her as a producer to 60 Minutes 2. And she essentially, coming off that great story, they offered her to go ahead and give them ideas, and then they would go ahead and do it. They would go ahead and commission it. So, well, she goes... There's been a long-time story saying that George Bush might have gone AWOL during his National Guard service. And this is something that's been pretty much covered up by his handlers, Carl Rove, etc. Mm -hmm. right? In fact, they don't even want to talk about it, and they discourage any reporters like Jim Moore, who was a very good reporter down in Texas, you know, from bringing up the whole issue. Okay. And I just might think that this is true. All right. And so I think we should do a story on it. Okay. Because it had been um, covered up in 2000, completely covered up. Even though the Boston Globe, as I wrote in my review for mm -hmm. Bob Pierce Consortium, and I have a link to that story in that review. Okay. A guy named Walter Thompson, I think his name was Walter Thompson, okay, uh, wrote a story about this in 2000, and nobody, nobody, okay, looked into it. When it really, it should have been front page, because this is, this is what Mary was saying, and I agree with her. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't the American people have a chance to debate whether or not they want a president 
who deliberately avoided fulfilling his, I think, five-year obligation to his country, okay? And in fact, nobody can really find out what the heck the guy did for the last year and a half because nobody uh, in Texas and nobody in Alabama where he was transferred to remember seeing him. And from what, what uh, she said and what other writers like Russell Baker said, they didn't even want him back in Texas. But Oh, let me explain that. Because he requested two leaves of absences for two political races. Okay, The second one was in Alabama for a guy named Wynn Blount. But he had agreed to show up at the base there. Okay, for, well, nobody remembered him. Okay, when this Walter guy from the Boston Globe went down and interviewed the officers at that time, you know, they, they said, no, I never remember seeing the guy report for anything once he was in Alabama. All right. Okay, and so when the guys in Texas heard about this, okay, they decided that, we don't want you back, okay? If you did something like that, we don't want you back in Texas. So George Bush essentially did not perform what his contractual duty was as a soldier. Well, in his case, he was supposed to be a pilot, all right? Except he didn't fly very much, all right? It turned out that he didn't want to fly, and um, after flying some flights, which he did okay on, he didn't want to do it later. And so some people, this has led some people to believe the rumors about Bush's uh, drug and alcohol pr uh, problems at that time, okay? And, and so, you know, and I think, this, I think it's justified, okay? If it's Oliver, go ahead and take it, Jim. I could take it? Okay. Just a minute. Just drop my name to him, if it's Oliver. Speaking with Jim Giugino tonight, folks, and... Uh, He's talking. He's talked about James Files and uh, all kinds of great stuff tonight, and we're going to continue in just a few seconds. www.nightfrightshow.com. You can click on the book link there, and that'll take you right to a spot where you can buy his books, and they are numerous. You could get The Assassinations, co-authored with Lisa Pease, Reclaiming Parkland, and uh, Destiny Betrayed, the new version of it. All great books and musts, without a question. Um, right now we're talking about a cover-up that took place uh, about George Bush's service. And Jim's uh, just coming back from a phone call with Oliver Stone where he dropped my name. And <laughs> apparently I'm doing the next score for Oliver Stone's film. And uh, thank you, Jim, for that. Okay. Back sure, to Jim. Brent. Sure, Brett. Allow me my fantasies, you. okay? I won't it's, even charge you. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's, it's close to Christmas. Allow me my fan. It's all I have. <laughs> okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. So anyway, so... Um, this very intriguing story, as, as Mary said, you know, would have, should have been caused an intense debate you know, about whether or not we want a guy like that running the country because what will happen if America gets into a very tense situation you know, with a guy who thought he was above you know, performing his military duty. And by the way, the unit that Bush got into was nicknamed the Champagne Unit because it was the unit in which all the very wealthy, you know, and well-off people in Texas sent their sons and nephews to get into. I okay, they're the, like the Conley family, the Lloyd Benson family. Those were the people who got into this unit. So that's the kind of power Bush had, you know, to get people, you know. His father wielded, obviously, you know, to get him into this special unit, knowing that he would not, you know, let's put it this way. The Bush family was smart enough to know that in public they had to support the Vietnam War, mm. but in private they understood this ain't worth risking your life over. Mm. Okay, so that's what they did. So this, of course, as Mary said, would have been a very important subject to debate. Is this the kind of president we want to have? Well, I remember... In 2004 election, where one of the candidates was a guy named Wesley Clark, who had hmm. been a general. General Wesley Clark, sure. Yeah. And so I'll never forget one of the early debates, Peter Jennings posed a question to him in which um, he said words to the effect, Mr. Clark, at one of your rallies, 
okay, you had Michael Moore speaking on the dais, and he essentially said that a race between you and President Bush would be the hero versus the deserter, meaning that he was saying that President Bush had left his troop and gone AWOL. Do you care to denounce these silly charges? And when I heard that, when I heard that, I'll never forget it, and Amy Goodman said the same thing. She goes, this was sort of a a shot across the bow, meaning that the MSM was not going to let anybody get into this issue, okay, for the simple reason that they had completely missed it in 2000, and they didn't want to be humiliated about it now. Now, what's important about that is this is about the same time that Mary's show was about to go on, okay? Okay, this is just a couple months before, all right? And so the movie actually begins with that. It begins with uh, – I don't even think we named about the movie. It's called Truth the tr- with yeah, Robert, Truth. Robert Redford as oh, Dan yeah. Rather, yeah. which I think is a really lousy title, but anyway. Because the name of her book was Truth and Duty. Mm. I think they should have stuck with that. Okay? Because the duty, of course, is what Bush spurned. Okay? All right. And so anyway, the movie began with that. It began with um, you know Mary in her office looking at the, the polling of the election, and what a close election it looked like it was going to be, meaning, of course, that her story okay, uh, might have a very big impact on it. Okay? So the movie follows her going to the witnesses that she needed and running into this Briquettes guy who was played by uh, veteran actor Stacey Keach, who did a very good job, I thought, in this minor role. All right? And and I I should add this because I didn't get to talk about it in the review. The movie was filmed in Australia. Is that right? They had to go offshore. Because Kate Blanchett lives there. Okay. The star of the the movie. And she's such a big, she's essentially become the new Meryl Streep. Okay. A younger version because she's, you know, sort of like um, um, her off, offbeat, good, good looks combined with, uh, you know, her very, you know, uh, um, very, I, I think she's pretty good myself. I I'm not I think she's, she's a great actress. Speak, but I think she's a good actress. She has mm-hmm. a lot of range and a lot of talent, okay, and uh, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, emotional commitment to her characters. And she did a good job here. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll have to tell you, I actually thought, and they cut this out of my review, I thought that Redford was even better. Red, see, Redford, since the beginning of his career, has always been underrated as an actor. Okay, because he was. Oh, there's this wonderful story when he was trying uh, to. Um, Go ahead, if it, it's you know. Okay, <laughs> sorry. This time you do have to drop my name. No, I'm kidding. Jim Dio Jr., folks, and he's being hounded by Oliver Stone because that's the way Jim rolls in in L.A. Okay. Uh, you know, he gets he calls from Oliver Stone at all times of the night because Oliver <laughs> can't. Can't live without him. That's what can I tell you? He relies on on so, people. So like anyway, him. anyway, um, Redford. There's this wonderful story about when they were casting Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. All right, because they didn't want Redford in it. Newman had already committed to the project, so they were looking for like Steve McQueen. Oh to yeah. The opposite yeah, him. yeah. And then they thought of Brando. Okay. Well, Brando didn't have any interest in it. Okay, and. Steve McQueen was giving them all kinds of problems about it. He demanded to have his name above Newman's, okay, because he always had rivalry with Paul Newman, okay? You know, and so they weren't going to do that. We'll give you co-equal billing. We won't put you above him. So the director and the writer and Newman began to push for Redford, and the executives didn't want Redford. They go, look, look, he's another blonde beach boy. You throw a stick at Malibu, you hit ten of them, okay? <laughs> Now, that's stupid even for Hollywood, okay? But the thing is, Redford has always been a very low-key, subtle, solid actor, okay? And he doesn't get enough credit for what a good career he's had. I mean, he was terrific in The Natural. He was wonderful in The Candidate. Okay, he was really good in a very little-known sports movie called Downhill Racer, where he played a a very kind of unattractive character, okay? He was good in all those films. In this movie... I thought he was even better than good 
because what he did in this movie is he portrayed a man who was essentially your corner grocery store owner who had gone to a place in life that was way beyond him. And he did it. He played him as an everyman who just was a result of circumstances. As a, and, and it was a really wonderfully etched performance, okay, which I don't think he got enough credit for, okay, you know. And so he was good. Kate Blanchett was good. Like I said, Stacey Keach was good. So it was a very well-acted movie. And a lot of the actors are from Australia, okay, because that's where they filmed the picture, mm -hmm. right? And the story essentially gets into what happened after. Because after the show was broadcast, I think in September, almost actually, by the way, before it was over, and this is a telltale sign, because we've only got five minutes left. I just wanted to let you know. Okay, okay, okay. Very quickly, then the producer sent it to the White House. Okay, very bad mistake. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so what happened is, and I think this is true. Mary thinks Carl Rove got out the word. Okay, about the typewriter, the supposed typewriter discrepancy, that it it was probably written on a word processor because some of the things you couldn't do on a typewriter. Well, it turned out that was all baloney. Okay, because later on they proved that some of the documents that Bill Burkett had given them very well could have been done on an IBM Selectric at that time. All right, so that was all camouflage, and so what does, what happened to her great story? about Bush dodging his service mm -hmm. and the National Guard went into this minutia about could you superscript a TH next to a 9, you know, on a, on, a, on a word processor or a typewriter. It turns out that this has been proven now by a university professor, I think, at Clemson, who showed with giant blow-ups of the documents that the imprint of the keys showed wear and tear, which you would not get with a computer. With a computer. Okay? Yeah. And so her career then went down the tubes because yeah. the CBS ramifications were far-reaching. CBS wanted to get rid of the problem, so they put together this phony panel of lawyers, not journalists, lawyers, in which it, the clear intent was to find her guilty of irresponsibility. And so that's what they did. And the, the day that that report came in, the president of the CBS, okay, before he even gave her a chance to rebut it, called her up and said that she was canned, okay? And without any kind of, you know, you know, chance to have her say, she was gone. And the story then was discredited, which it shouldn't have been. But that's the way, you know, that's the way it works. It works. You know, unfortunately, yeah. that's the way the system works, okay? Okay, so is that our five minutes? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> okay, Jim. Okay. Um, I'm getting all these phone calls, and i got to tell you, it's not because of Oliver. It's because of what, what happened in L.A. today. They called off the schools because of this terror threat. Right, right. Okay. And what's your opinion real quick on that? Well, they obviously had to do it. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because if, there would have been a tremendous lawsuit if you know they didn't do it and yeah. some kid got hurt. Okay. So I, I didn't have to go to work today. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I think they made the right choice, too. And yeah. you practice lockdown? The, You're a professor, Jim, by the way. Uh, do you practice I, lockdowns as well? Do I practice what? Lockdowns? No. Okay, because no. my, my, uh, my cousin is a principal at a, at a local high school, and they practice lockdowns now. Something I never had to do. Wow. Okay. Yeah, unbelievable. Okay, so, um, so the ramifications were, were far-reaching and still to today. And the thing oh, is, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible, because obviously the end of the story is what Bush did in the Iraq war. OK, he sent all these National Guard guys in there because he didn't know what it was like to be in the middle of a war. Yeah. And 5000 of them ended up losing their lives over a threat that did not exist. The whole idea, I'm sure you're aware of that, right, mm -hmm. of, of uh, the so-called weapons of mass destruction. WMDs. Which there was none. Yeah, there were two, two reports issued after the war, mm -hmm. in which there was none. Okay, and of course I don't have to tell you what happened, is that this was really the beginning of ISIS. Okay, oh, of course. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. See, the beginning of Al Qaeda. Yeah. Beginning of Al Qaeda was when the United States went into Afghanistan, 
And one of the guys, the Muslims, who went there to fight against the Russian infidel was a guy named Osama bin Laden. All right. Well, the beginning of ISIS, which the CIA actually called at this time um, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, that was a name given it to at first. Then when it evolved into something a little bit separate, more violent than Al-Qaeda, then they called it this new name, ISIS. Yeah. So George Bush really gave us ISIS, if you want to really look at it. Okay, and by the way, I have an article at my website, Sitka, ctka.net, which addresses this issue. And it compares Kennedy's foreign policy in the Middle East with what has come after it, which is another reversal, of course. Is there any way out through Obama's what? foreign policy? Is he doing the right thing, staying out of Syria, not putting... Obama? Yeah. I, I think Obama, I mean, I think Obama, except for Cuba, I think Obama's foreign policy has not been very good. Okay. Hillary Clinton? Oh, my gosh. He's even worse than he is. Okay. You know, I, you, you don't want to get into Syria. That'll take another hour. Okay, Donald okay. Trump. <laughs> Donald oh, Trump. Please. Only in America. <laughs> Only in America could such a thing happen. Jim, we okay. started out the show. I was saying I was getting a lot of emails from Americans about James Files. Now I'm getting a lot of emails about Americans claiming they're going to come to Canada if Trump is elected. I write them back right away and I say, I'm leaving the planet, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if Trump gets elected, you are going to get a lot of people moving up to Canada. And that's everybody's welcome here. There's no, no problem. Right. Oh, there's the music. Hey, Thanks, Jim. Improve your listeners. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Merry Christmas. Okay, all right. All right. Bye. Best. Bye now, folks. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for listening. See you later. witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.